Today is February 20th, 2006, and you're listening to the NACOcast with Christopher Millard. This is Christopher Millard from the National Arts Center Orchestra, welcoming you to our first NACOcast. Our February concerts come to a close with a program of Mozart and Dvorak, featuring pianist Stephen Huff and conductor Carlos Kalmar. And opening the concert, a brand new work of Alexina Louis, Infinite Sky with Birds. Mozart is always with us, but his presence has been particularly felt in the past few weeks as the world celebrates his 250th birthday. Have you noticed how often musicians speak of Mozart in the present tense? We can't help it. The genius jumps off the page with each performance. Blow out those 250 candles, folks. He's with us still. Among Mozart's greatest gifts are the 27 Piano Concerti, which continue to delight and enchant us. As a bassoonist, I am particularly drawn to this body of work, for Mozart treats the wind players in his orchestra like opera stars. He gives us so much to say. The Piano Concerti explore the illuminating possibilities of wind instruments at a level only equal in his operas. The flutes are elegant, the oboes mournful, the bassoons dance. It's such great fun to play. On February 22nd and 23rd, we will perform K449, the concerto in E-flat major. You must wonder why performers and programmers are always so careful to list the key in which a work has been written. Well, this bit of information helps us to keep track of these works. It's especially important for composers like Mozart with his 41 symphonies or Haydn with his 104 symphonies. But listing the key of musical composition also reveals much about the music itself. The basic tonality of a work often defines its overall flavor, and in the case of E-flat major, there's a confident exuberance, a sense of perfect balance. Mozart chose E-flat major for his first great piano concerto, number 9, and returned to the key twice more in numbers 14 and 22. Composers of the classical period were bound to a more limited range of tonalities than those of the 19th century, in some part because of the limitations of the wind and brass instruments available at the time. Mozart chose E-flat major for several important works for wind instruments, including the Quintet for Piano and Winds and the Symphony Concertante for Winds and Orchestra. Many of these E-flat works begin with assertive rhythmic themes, clearly outlining the principal notes of the E-flat chord. But when Mozart combined E-flat major with a time signature of 3-4, or three beats in a bar, a different character emerges, so the 14th concerto, somewhat like the 39th symphony, has a more wistful and delicate first theme. I'm looking forward to our guest artist Stephen Huff. One of the most important pianists of our time, Stephen is known not only for his colourful and individual approach to piano playing, but also for his thoughtful intellect. He has written extensively about many aspects of the performer's life and responsibilities. 
Here is what Stephen has to say about the difficulties of being a classical star. I quote, Psychological problems probably account for the vast majority of difficulties or discouragements for a musician at every stage of their careers, and most of these should be avoidable. So it often boils down to inflated or distorted egos, the excessive desire to be admired, successful, or praised. If we walk onto the stage or into a lesson with an excessive hunger for approval or adulation, we stifle something inside us. Aside from any moral or cultural distaste one might have for boastful, egotistical people, such self-absorption rarely makes sense from a purely practical standpoint. It's like driving on the highway and looking too closely at the car in the next lane. The lack of perspective is dizzying and dangerous. Or like seeing reality in a mirror, observing ourselves only through the eyes of others and their approval or lack of it. Whatever musical talent we have whether great or modest, will flourish better in the larger garden of ultimate reality than in the cramped plant pots of our own small worlds. To reach beyond ourselves in achievement is an ambition which can best be achieved by looking beyond ourselves. That is, after all, what ecstasy means, to stand outside. Not as an outsider, but as one passionately involved, with a perspective that's as large as the reality it aims to contemplate. series concerts on February 22nd and 23rd continue with a journey into the turbulent world of D minor. Dvorak's Seventh Symphony, arguably his greatest, will be conducted by Uruguayan-born maestro Carlos Kalmar. Dvorak has always been a great favorite among symphony audiences and among musicians as well. There's always such perfect balance in Dvorak between passion and restraint, between power and simplicity. I have to admit to a very personal habit of the imagination. I keep a short list of the great artistic figures of the past who I would like to meet, to walk with, to share a meal. I limit my list to those whose work exhibits a geniality as well as a genius. An afternoon stroll with Mozart would be at the top of my list, though Beethoven might intimidate me, and I'd hate to have to yell. I'd definitely like to buy Schubert a coffee, but I'd keep Brahms at a distance. But Dvorak? Well, who wouldn't want to be with him for a few days? He had a passion for pigeons, 
and a great fascination with locomotives and all things mechanical. He was possessed of a childlike religious faith and always a great humility. He looked fierce, but he was gentle, and he could hold his liquor. I want to share with you this wonderful little story told by the New York critic James Hunnaker, who spent a day with Dvorak during his stay in New York in 1893. This is what he had to say. Old Borax, as Dvorak was affectionately called, was a fervent Roman Catholic, and I hunted a Bohemian church for him as he began his day with an early mass. Rather too jauntily, I invited him to taste the American drink called a whiskey cocktail. He nodded his head, that of an angry-looking bulldog with a beard. He scared one at first with his fierce Slavonic eyes, but was as mild-mannered man as ever scuttled a pupil's counterpoint. I always spoke of him as a boned pirate. But I made a mistake in believing that American strong whiskey would upset his check nerves. We described a huge circle through the great thirst belt of central New York. At each place, Dvorak took a cocktail. Now alcohol I abhor, so I stuck to my guns, uh, beer. We spoke in German, and I was happy to meet a man whose accent and grammar were worse than my own. Yet we got along swimmingly. An appropriate enough image, for the weather was wet, though too squally. I left him swallowing his nineteenth cocktail. Master, I said rather thickly, don't you think it's time we ate something? He gazed at me through those awful whiskers which met his tumbled hair halfway. Eat? No, I no eat. We drink the Slibovitz. It warms you after so much beer. I didn't go that evening to the Bohemian Café with Dr. Antonin Dvorak. I never went with him. Such a man is as dangerous to a moderate drinker as a false beacon to a shipwrecked sailor. You wonder why I love Dvorak? I can't leave you this week without mentioning the new work of Alexina Louis that opens our program on February 22nd and 23rd. Alexina loves to paint glimmering soundscapes full of brilliance and clarity, Her titles reflect her passions. Her new work, Infinite Sky with Birds, will be revealed this week. I've seen the score, and the musicians are busily learning the notes, and I'll bet this music is as uplifting as the title. Alexina follows in a long tradition of composers who challenge performers. Her music can be treacherously difficult. I was looking through Kimball Sykes' clarinet part the other day, and my jaw dropped. Now, there's not a lot that Kimball can't do. But he has his hands full with this one, as do all my colleagues. So when you come to the concert, say a little prayer for Kimball and flutist Joanna Gaffrer and see if you can guess how many notes they have to fit into a single measure of music. Their fingers will be aching. Well, it's all for a good cause, bringing new music to life and giving voice to one of our country's great talents. This Ovation Series program has a lovely balance with a wonderful pianist and the chance to see the debut of an important conductor. I hope you'll join us.
You've been listening to the NACOcast. For more information on NAC podcasts and to subscribe to the NACOcast, visit us at nac.ca slash podcasts. Join me next week for a look at the NAC Orchestra's upcoming CTV Pops concert featuring Haley Westenra.